0: Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hi everyone, and welcome
1: to another edition of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. This is Patrick Rao, NGI's Director of Strategy and Research, and today I'm going to discuss US LNG, which was easily the most asked about topic during first quarter 2022 earnings conference calls for publicly traded companies in the US natural gas value chain. More specifically, I'm going to explore the question, can the US answer the call to supply more global demand? Now, LNG certainly has taken center stage around the world following Russia's invasion of the Ukraine on February the 24th, an event that accelerated Energy called the most dynamic shift in the global energy markets since the Arab oil embargo of 1973. Prior to the invasion, Russia provided roughly 40% of Europe's natural gas demand, mostly via pipeline, and European countries have been scrambling to find alternative sources of supply for both the short and the long terms. U.S. President Joe Biden has promised to provide an extra 15 billion cubic meters of natural gas to the EU later this year, or all throughout this year, which is roughly 1.4 BCF a day by our calculations. And the United States has certainly responded to this call. Europe was a destination for 34% of U.S. LNG cargoes in 2021, but that has ballooned to nearly 75% of all U.S. cargoes for the first three months of 2022. Now, unfortunately, there's only so much the U.S. can do in the short term, as U.S. liquefaction trains have been running at full bore for more than a year now. Venture Global started the first phase of its Calcasieu Pass facility in Louisiana during the first quarter of this year, which brought roughly 800 MMCF a day of capacity online, and its phase two will bring another 800 a day online later this year. Chenier also chipped in another 750 MMCF a day or so, of capacity when it places Sabine past train six in service in February. But the next round of capacity in the U.S. that's under construction right now likely won't hit until 2024. Look, longer term, many things can happen in the global political arena that can reduce the need for alternative supply sources, including happenings in Russia. But European and even Asian buyers aren't taking any chances and are taking significant steps now to wean themselves off Russian gas supply or at least to diversify their supply mix via LNG. For example, Germany has done an about-face by canceling the Nord Stream 2 pipeline project and now the country plans to obtain up to three floating LNG terminals. Finland just signed an agreement for an FSRU as well. Now, typically it takes between four and five years for a major land-based project to go from FID to FIRST LNG, although we do note that Venture Global managed to start production at Calcasieu Pass in a mere 29 months. And as I'll discuss more in a moment, New Fortress Energy believes it can get its fast LNG process, whereby it attaches liquefaction equipment to an offshore rig. They think they can get that operational somewhere between 12 and 18 months, but for now, these faster-in-service times are the exception, not the rule, making it all the more imperative for Europe to act now. The call for more LNG into Europe, it's global, but the U.S. has been receiving more than its fair share of inquiries. Just last week, Venture Global announced they've reached FIDEA on their mines project, The first time a US LNG project has been sanctioned since August 2019. And seemingly every third story or so we've been writing an NGI lately has been about another facility signing on another customer. We believe it's all but a foregone conclusion that Chenier is going to FID their 10 million tons per annum Corpus Christi Phase 3 project in the coming weeks. As will Freeport with its fourth train. Terlurian says it has enough commitments to FID Phase 1 of its driftwood facility. And we've seen recent offtake agreements at Rio Grande LNG and Lake Charles LNG. In fact, Energy Transfer said it would be shocked if it doesn't reach FID on Lake Charles by the end of this year. Semper recently indicated that its Port Arthur project has been taking a backseat to their other projects, but interest in that facility has increased in recent weeks. So I'm piling on here, but I think you get the idea. Interest in U.S. LNG has been surging since late February one of the main drivers for that is that u.s lng it's relatively lower cost supply and its abundant supply and that has helped push the united states into the top three in lng exporting countries up from basically nil just six years ago and if eqt resources has its way the u.s would become even more dominant later this decade you might have seen that in march EQT CEO Toby Rice unveiled the company's unleashing U.S. LNG plan that calls for the United States to add 30 BCF a day of LNG export capacity to the East Coast and another 15 BCF a day in the Gulf Coast, all by the year 2030. Now, look, that may be ambitious, and it likely represents more of an optimistic case for global future LNG demand, in our view. Baker Hughes and Chenier they're both a bit more reserved, as they both see the need for another 200 million tons per annum of global supply, or roughly 26 BCF a day. But look, whatever the ultimate figure turns out to be, the U.S. will represent a major portion of that. And a number of U.S. producers, they're licking their chops at the prospect in participating in these projects. Now, ELG Resources, APA Corporation, Apache along with Canadian producers, Tormaline Oil on Arc Resources, they've all signed integrated production management contracts with Chenier. And of course, ExxonMobil has a 30% ownership stake, stake Excuse me, in Golden Pass. Now, during first quarter 2022 earnings conference calls, a number of producers expressed their interest in stepping into the fray. Oventiv, EQT, Antero Resources, Comstock, Chesapeake Energy, Chevron, Range Resources, Southwestern Energy, Devon, uh, Cotera, ConocoPhillips, all of them are interested in getting additional LNG price exposure somewhere along the spectrum of more of these integrated production management deals, maybe some other forms of derivative contracts, or even taking an equity stake in new U.S. liquefaction projects. Now, that latter statement, it's telling because it would represent a major increase in capital spending on the part of publicly traded U.S. producers, something they have been extremely reticent to do in recent quarters for fear of reprisals from Wall Street. Clearly, there are some pretty elaborate plans out there among U.S. producers to grow their presence in the global energy market, but several things are gonna have to happen to enable this to happen. The first of those things, it's winning the race to sign customers. The world will only need so much LNG. And the US faces competition from international projects. For example, Qatar is another major global LNG export with aggressive expansion plans and deep pockets. There's competition in North America as well. Although as my colleague, Jamison Conklin and I discussed on a podcast last week, Canada has a lot of work to do to be a viable global provider of LNG on a larger scale. And while there's several LNG export projects in Mexico that are showing excellent promise, Those actually would be fed by U.S. gas production. So they're really just an extension of U.S. LNG. But the point here being is that he who waits to enter the race will likely lose the race. So getting facilities FID'd as soon as possible is crucial. Time is of the essence here. A second thing needs to happen Need to see some more permitting infrastructure and financing needs overcome. Look, it's no secret that pipeline projects in the United States have been facing increased regulatory and public scrutiny in recent years, which is obviously a potential headwind to growing US LNG. In its Unleash US LNG plan, EQT notes that in addition to building 45 BCF a day worth of LNG export capacity, again, two-thirds of which would be in the East Coast, the U.S. would need roughly 20 new 42-inch pipelines that serve a number of different U.S. states. (laughs) Given that, it's rather ironic that EQT also just sold their remaining shares in Equitran's midstream. And look, there could be any number of reasons for their doing that. But considering they expect to generate $17 billion in free cash flow through the year 2027, it likely wasn't because they needed the cash. EQT is the largest capacity holder on the stalled Mountain Valley Pipeline project. So why would they sell those e-tran shares if MVP were certain to be built? The point here being that if getting a pipeline that is nearly 95% completed into service is difficult, so too will building 20 new pipelines in the current regulatory environment. Now, the idea of constructing LG export facilities in Pennsylvania is interesting, though especially if the state is able to get one or more intrastate pipelines built. Look, I mean, I don't think the FERC has necessarily been the main impediment to building new pipelines in the U.S. in recent times. But keeping those lines in state would at least remove one-layer regulation. I'll also note that the Marcus Hook NGL export terminal, that's been a roaring success. So there definitely is precedent to exporting liquids from the Pennsylvania coast. A number of companies throughout the natural gas value chain have noted that discussions with U.S. regulators have actually been improving in recent weeks, but that, of course, is still no guarantee of substantive process, of progress. Now, perhaps Enbridge's management team summed it up the best this past quarter. They believe U.S. policymakers, they, they get it. They believe they get it. But Enbridge isn't convinced yet that we're going to see a quick action to provide additional clarity or regular permitting as there are still a myriad of issues to address, including the acceleration of lower carbon opportunities, federal versus state jurisdictions, and a complex array of permitting and approvals that are required. Look, perhaps if a natural gas prices remain high amid a recession later this year, and or if our global allies continue to suffer at the hands of higher gas prices, maybe elected and regulatory officials in the U.S. will be more focused on getting more energy infrastructure in place. Maybe. That's certainly not a guarantee. Now, on the positive side to all this, the U.S. Export-Import Bank has expressed a willingness to help with project financing where necessary. We see that more than four BCF a day of incremental natural gas pipeline takeaway solutions are expected out of the Permian Basin over the next two, two and a half years. And discussions are afoot to move more capacity from the Hainesville Shale to the LNG terminals in Louisiana but overall, there's still a lot more work to be done. Now, I'll also note that New Fortress Energy is working on one potential workaround to the infrastructure issue by proposing to build a couple of 1.4 million tons per annum fast LNG trains in offshore Louisiana, with the potential for more facilities coming in offshore Texas. These can bypass the need for onshore pipelines and liquefaction facilities. And as I mentioned before, they can get to market relatively quickly. Now, I asked Chart Industry CEO Jill Ivanko about Fast LNG at an industry conference last summer, and she said it's a damn interesting technology. Buy-side firms, they've been asking about this with increasing regularity. So this is going to be an interesting space to watch in the coming quarters to see just how much and how quickly Fast LNG can jumpstart the process. Okay, finally, just the third thing that has to happen for U.S. producers to participate more in the global LNG market is they need to continue to improve their balance sheets. Being investment-grade is a requirement to sign the integrated production management contracts that are championed by Chenier, and it would go a long way to allow producers to participate in projects as an equity investor. Only three of the top 11 publicly traded U.S. natural gas producers in 2021, only three of them are currently investment-grade at all three major debt rating agencies. And those three are number four-ranked producer, Cotera Energy, number six, ConocoPhillips, and number 10, EOG Resources. EQT Corporation is the largest U.S. producer. They're actually investment-grade at two of the three. They just need one more upgrade at Moody's to fit the bill there. So they're essentially investment-grade also. But others on that list have some work to do. Southwestern Energy is the second-largest U.S. gas producer, but they need an average of 1.7 upgrades to become investment-grade. Number three, Chesapeake Energy, they need 2.7 upgrades on average. Number five, Enterra Resources, they need an upgrade and a half. Number seven, CNX Resources, they need two upgrades. Number eight, Range Resources, they need three. Number nine, Comstock Resources, they need closer to five. And number 11, Occidental Petroleum needs each of the three rating agencies to upgrade them one more time to get to be investment grade. I mean, it's hard enough to get one upgrade, much less the sell that some of these producers would need. Although we know that higher commodity prices and the emphasis on generating free cash flow are certainly helping in this manner. But this is still going to be a very difficult thing for these producers to do. The upshot to all this, though, is if these producers would like to participate in the current $20 plus MMBTU international pricing market by becoming investment grade, they be well-served to continue to limit CapEx in the U.S. market in favor of paying down debt, and that should help to support natural gas prices in the short run. So clearly, there are quite a few things that need to happen to grow U.S. LNG exports meaningfully, but the more they do, the more this will support long-term U.S. prices, natural gas prices as well, and not only from increased demand, but also because it would likely deplete core U.S. producing acreage more quickly. This would require producers to tap higher cost resources or reserves, and they would need higher long-term prices to incentivize them to do so. Anyway, there are certainly lots of moving parts to LNG these days, which have kept our editorial staff at AGI here very busy. So I'd like to quickly acknowledge Jameson Coughlin, Carolyn Davis, Alex Dyes, Letitia Gonzalez, Christopher Linton, Andrew Baker, Matthew Vesey, Jacob Dick, Kevin Dobbs, Jeremiah Shilor, and Teresa Robinson for their hard work in covering the fast-moving global LNG market here in recent months. Now, obviously, I'm a bit biased because they're my colleagues, but these folks are among the best in the business at what they do, and I encourage you to follow their coverage. If you subscribe to us, you're probably doing that already, but if you don't and would like more information, please go to our website at www.naturalgasintel.com. That's it for me today. So on behalf of everyone at Natural Gas Intelligence, I'd like to thank you for listening and please stay tuned to this channel for more natural gas insights from us in the days ahead. Until next time, all the
0: best to you wherever you are and please stay safe. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly or midweek pricing data, forward curves or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.